On this week's episode of the Two Tools Baseball Podcast, we discuss the 2022 MLB Awards winners, all of the breaking news on the red-hot free agency and trade markets, a breakdown of the new additions to the Hall of Fame ballot, and which top-tier shortstop do you think is going to get the highest contract of the offseason? Find out our pick right now. Hello listeners, my name is Alex Jonathan. I am joined as always by my co-host Travis Miller. I am more of a stats nerd. He was a total stud on his D3 college team. This is the Two Tools Baseball Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Alex and I are coming to you live. It is Monday, November 21st, 2022. Pretty jam-packed weekend for us, Alex, huh? A little bachelor oh, party action, huh? Yeah, you and I were out of town, uh, out of commission, you know, off the clock, doing some... Uh, off the clock, but the research was still ongoing. Absolutely, because it was an you know, action-packed week of baseball news, uh, tons to kind of catch up with the listeners on. Not only were there trades and free agency signings, there were also, you know, some surprising uh, non-tenders that we'll talk about later. Some players just straight up released from their teams that, you know, people might not thought uh, was going to happen. And then uh, some Hall of Fame action coming up shortly as well. A new a new ballot kind of sent out um, for this offseason. And uh, a word recap, Travis. Uh, where do you want to start? Yeah, jam-packed show jam-packed episode let's start with the awards first let's recap exactly what happened uh about one week ago with the rookie of the years the manager of the years the Cy Young awards and then of course the MVPs for both leagues we'll start of course in the rookie of the year category no surprise there Julio Rodriguez for the American League and then for the National League uh Michael Harris the second I think in the AL Alex for my opinion uh there was just basically no no thought at all that you know Adley or Stephen Kwan was even going to contest what was Julio was able to do even though Adley put up a very good season at the catching position Julio just seemed like from the start uh it was his award to uh to lose and 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 looking even at the home run derby just how he competed in that and then how he competed down the stretch and helped the Mariners get to their first playoff appearance since 2001 it just seemed like it was just an obvious pick for Julio to win that and then on the NL side I had Spencer Strider I still think Spencer Strider had a more impressive year but I totally understand the Michael Harris selection he is an everyday player he is an electric player uh ever since he took over center field it seems like he's making wedge gem after wedge gem and also coming up with some very clutch hits uh, he, he was he was a bit of a spark for that Braves team, I feel like, in that second half, the way they caught fire and eventually took over the uh, the National League East division title uh, at the end of the season. But uh, thoughts for your uh, opinions on the Rookie of the Year's, Alex? Uh, do you like him? Do you, do you not like him? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I, I picked differently than both of the guys who ended up winning. I did pick Adley when we did our selections. I completely understand the Julio pick. For me, the biggest reason for Julio over Adley is mainly because of... I mean, I'm sure the voters give him extra credit for like making the playoffs and stuff, but I think the main difference for me is just that uh, Julio was there since opening day, and mm-hmm. Adley came up. I don't remember. Was it 
June, July. I think it was June, yeah. Something like that. So like it just it was always going to be hard to kind of make up the ground in terms of how much value you produce when your competitor was pretty much good. I think he had a rough few, first few weeks, but let's just say May and onward, he was pretty much playing at an all-star level, um, borderline superstar level. Yes. Um, so because of that, it was always going to be hard for Adley, uphill battle for sure. Um, I still love Adley's case, but, you know, um, the Julio pick makes uh, total sense. Also, Strider versus Harris, we knew it was going to be one of the two brave rookies. Um, and I think that personally Strider had the bigger impact um but i do think that both guys had this incredible impact i really wonder what the brave season would look like if they didn't get that level of production from those two because i think it's just another example of a kind of a smart team getting a ton out of guys that fans might not have penciled in um, for them to both have like these uh super valuable seasons um you know both um i don't think either made the all-star team but like both put up like all-star level value um, so I think that, you know, seeing these two guys be every day, I mean, so yeah, you said that um, Michael Harris is an everyday guy, but um, every fifth start in the case of Strider, um, the consistency that they both had and the level of contribution in that race, I, I agree with what you said. I do not see the Braves uh, tracking down the Mets in that division race, if not for those two. Mm-hmm. I still would lean Strider, but I think that Harris... You know, the, the, the production speaks for itself. Um, the defense and the base running is, is you know, some all-worldly stuff. And then the bat was definitely, he was a contact machine, had some pop too. So uh makes total sense. It would have been funny to see both of those guys, Adley and Strider, if they would have started with the team on opening day and how this race would have looked right now. It just seems like coming in in June, coming in, uh, you know, not the start of the season might have been what held them back to, to winning this award. But... Rookie of the Year, of course, is a award you can only win once in your career, in your first year. And then, of course, after that, you can win MVPs or Cy Youngs. And I think Strider and Adley have MVPs and Cy Youngs to their name in the future. I think that that's special, special of players that can really make an impact later on down the road in their careers. But moving to the Manager of the Years now for the AL and the NL American League Manager of the Year, Terry Francona. Um, he was my guy. He was my vote. I have no problem with that. What he did this year with the Guardians. Uh, we all thought the Guardians were going to be a third, fourth place team. They ended up winning the division handsomely by 11 games. It was probably one of the biggest leads um, besides the American League West and the National League West. Uh, the NL Cent- or the AL Central was ran away by the Guardians later on in the second half. They did a phenomenal job, so Francona definitely deserved that. Um, and then, of course, in the National League, this is, of course, where I get a little bit uh, sore on the spot. Uh, Buck Showalter, New York Mets manager, took this award and won it. Um, and I think Dave Roberts ended up finishing second place, I'm not mistaken. And then, of course, um, Snicker for the Braves finishing in third, rightfully so. Um I, of course, is very heated when I heard this news. Uh, I thought Dave Roberts did basically the best job you can do with this ball club. I mean, winning over 110 games has not been done uh, in in such a long time, especially in the National League, setting National League records. Uh, It was definitely an interesting note to put on. Um, What Buck Showalter did with the Mets was very special. Winning 101 games in your first season is you, you couldn't have planned it better. Uh, I, I think that the GM and the owner did a great job acquiring the players and Buck had a pretty, 
pretty, pretty, I wouldn't say easy job. He did go with a lot of injuries and had to go through a lot of injuries throughout the season. But uh, I feel like the, the team and the roster that he was given was already a 90 plus win team and that uh, it was just making sure that the ship was being steered correctly into getting those wins and achieving that outcome. But what are your thoughts, Alex, on Francona and Showalter uh, winning their managers of the year? Yeah, Francona, uh, I think he was in my second or third pick. He might have been my second pick. I think it makes total sense given the expectations of the team. Um, I think that, you know, the Guardians, like you said, were a team that no one had penciled into the playoffs, making it that far with that roster without any big additions or anything. You know, it was just was really about J-Ram and then, you know, get, getting productivity from a lot of guys on like, you know, rookie deals and, um, you know, just getting getting consistency from the pitching staff and, um, you know, good bullpen usage and everything. So it makes total sense, but he um, is getting that award. He also has the name, the pedigree, the respect from the voters. So all of it makes sense. Uh, moving on to the NL, um, I have some disagreement with you. I, I, I do think that Showalter, um, I think he might have been my second pick. Uh, if not, he was my third, but he was definitely in my top three um, for who I had for winning the award. I think I had Roberts first, just like you. Mm-hmm. I completely agree that Roberts deserves all the credit in the world for the regular season performance of the 2022 Dodgers. I think that his ability to kind of um, play out the course of a season, um, given the options they had, the injuries they had to endure, kind of rolling with the punches and being very open to the front office is something uh, and like the analytics department is something that I really admire about him. Some coaches uh, have a lot more trouble, I think, with their relationship with the analytics department and, and the front office and stuff like that. And um, I think Robert's willingness to kind of, you know, trust the information is a big reason why uh, Dodgers were able to kind of be okay despite the injuries. They were able to get the most out of guys like Heaney, Tyler Anderson, uh, amongst others, and just kind of say, you know, we don't have um, an ace top three, like three-headed monster in our rotation, but we're going to still get that level of production from some guys that are surprises. So I completely agree that Roberts deserves tons of credit. But for Showalter's case, um, I still think that if you compare what the Mets were projected to do before the season and then say this team's going to win 101 games and they're not going to get really an MVP performance from anyone. DeGrom's going to miss like half the year. Scherzer's going to miss like a big chunk of the year. He's going to get like only 20 starts or something like that. I think if I told you all that stuff, you'd be like, oh, like, you know, that's a really solid performance from that Mets group. And yes, I do agree that a big reason why they did have a uh, win-loss record that is improved off past seasons is because they did they did add more talent, more depth. Guys like Canna, guys like uh, Marte, um, you know, just getting tons out of uh, some depth pitching like Bassett. Of course, Diaz, monster year. Um even getting Cy Young consideration by some voters, um, which is something I didn't really expect, but um, definitely an interesting case for that. But yeah, I think that those are a big reasons for the Mets' success. But I think Showalter being able to get the most out of that group is definitely something that um, deserves some level of consideration. Should he have won the award for sure in my book? No, I think I would have gotten Roberts, but um, I still think that Showalter's a prime candidate. I think just because the Braves tracked them down, for me, that means almost nothing because you, you won 101 games. You won the same number of games as the Braves. It just so happened that the Braves finished really hot. The Mets started really hot. 
Um, they ended up in the same exact spot and just a different tiebreaker gave the advantage to the Braves. So for me, I don't really think that, you know, Showalter did anything bad by letting the Braves come back, quote unquote, because when you get to 101 wins, it's not really about letting a team come back. The Braves just had a really uh, special, hot second half. I think their their pace in the second half mm-hmm. was like, if you extrapolated over a full season, they were like playing at like 115 win pace for like this, just if you look at the second half. So they were playing like the Dodgers or, or you know, whoever else, yeah. whatever other historic team you want to mention. It seemed like the, the Yankees were playing... In the first half, yeah. Yeah, the first half, and then the Yankees ball club went over to the Atlanta side and played that sort of style of baseball because it, it was it was crazy. The Yankees were on pace to win 120 games in June, I think, and it was it, yeah. was, it was insane. Yeah. And, and, you know, Boone was already getting manager of the year credit already and, and you know, just the way that it kind of collapsed in the second half. But they still won the division, but it's funny that the Braves were the were the exact opposite. In the first half, they were looking at, you know, uh, probably, probably a definitely a second place wild card team. The Mets are easily going to storm through this, but the Braves can somehow caught fire. And like you said, I think it was like sixty five and like thirty or something like that in, I, in their last ninety games or so. I, I like what you said about bringing up the Yankees because it's not like the Mets with Showalter did what the Yankees did, and Yankees had a more questionable collapse than the Mets did but the Mets lost their division which is just kind of almost unfair I mean it's not it's just the nature of divisional play right the Yankees did not have a Braves on their tail like the Mets did the Mets gave up less ground than the Yankees did um didn't they're like roster didn't the Yankees roster have like a 600 OPS and like Judge had like a 1200 OPS yeah it was he was their only guy (laughs) it was really a and like the, the bullpen got like less deep they had these injuries um, you know, traded Ray Montgomery, uh, different things kind of contributed to maybe a, a, a weaker second half. But I do think that um, the way that the Yankees fell off, uh, I think that might kind of get applied to the Mets in, in the way that they let the Braves come back. Yeah. But I don't think the situations are equivalent at all in my book. I think the Mets, um, they still had a really good year and uh i think their second half was totally fine yes they quote unquote let the braves come back but the braves just played really good the four game sweep against the cubs that uh right i think every mets fan will always go back to be haunted by yeah there were definitely some questionable moments but that's kind of the truth for everyone's season Mm -hmm. right Um, Mm -hmm. there's a different moment you can point to but i do think that the uh manager of the year award for the nl being with showalter i have no problem Mm -hmm. 101 win season uh you know there's a definitely a really solid chance that they could have made a, a postseason run that went longer than it did, but they ran into Joe Musgrove with a really, <laughs> really sweaty ear or whatever that was. Yes, but, yep. but um, yeah, I think that I have no problem with it. And, uh, you know, th- that's where I'm going to lay my case. Moving on to Cy Young, um, Alex, I, I don't think we at all had any, any problems with this. We predicted this. I think we, we might not have agreed with this, but we knew this was the outcome that was going to happen. Exactly. It, it was pretty safe to say these two guys were going to win their award. Uh, Sandy Alcantara for the National League for the Miami Marlins. Justin Verlander for the American League for the Houston Astros. Both guys dominating performances in 2022. And th- that's that's pretty much end of story right then and there. Anything really covered with those two guys? No, I mean, when both guys win unanimously... If you follow baseball like we do, that means we probably kind of saw this coming. Um, both guys had great seasons. I I picked differently when we picked our versions of these awards, but I knew when I made those picks that Verlander actually had the award locked up. So did Alcantara. So um, nothing really to elaborate, just yeah. that those guys 
um, definitely earned some hardware this off this uh, season. They did, they did, and that kind of sums up as well with the, with the MVP story. I know, of course, a lot of debate with uh, the American League race, and rightfully so. Um, the NL race as well. We I think we both agreed we knew who was going to win that one easily. Paul Goldschmidt mm-hmm. of the St. Louis Cardinals NL MVP, his first NL MVP. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty happy for Paul. I think he's had a cup. I think he's had like four or five top three finishes in his career. I think with the Diamondbacks, he had a couple that, you know, just ran to other, uh, you know, other players that just performed better than him. So Paul gets his first uh Really happy for that one. And then, of course, in the AL site, Alex, um, rightfully so, it was the hardest selection, in my opinion, for a MVP in, I, I don't know where to even go back to. If you want to go back to Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams in 1941, or if you want to, you know, look at even even older MVP races, but you basically had two guys doing things that were completely different and, and were unique in their own self. So, uh, that's where it all kind of lied. I, I think we both knew Judge was going to win this one heavily, and he did. It was, I think, 28 out of 30 first-place votes went to Judge. I think the two guys that voted for Shohei, the two votes went to Shohei were uh, Angel guys, I think, I believe, beat yeah, writers. LA Media, yeah. Yep, so, you know, rightfully so. Didn't give them the unanimous pick. Some people were really upset about that, but, you know, I don't think Judge... I think Judge earned the award, but unanimous would be a little bit strong. Just basically considering what Shohei did, um, putting it all together this season. It was funny that you looked at last season and he looked like a freak, someone that could never be outperformed. And this season, he even outperformed himself from 2021. Um, Shohei finished second and still just kind of a freakish season. But when you come... To judge when you go to the history that judge performed with the uh the, just the level of of hitting that was just so much better than his peers uh, i think everyone was going to give him that award especially even being an east coast guy new york media you know there are a lot of bias right there was going to come into play but judge i think we both knew was going to win this award easily he did uh thoughts on the mvps alex yeah um on the al side of things i obviously was uh i Knew Judge would win it, but uh, was picking Otani for me personally. Um, as we've covered at length on the podcast, I I, I think that what Otani did is still um, incredibly special, and and uh, what Judge did was historic. But I think the thing I always kind of look back on is um, Judge was doing things that no one's done since you know, I mean, obviously there's a steroid era, so you could say he hasn't done doing things that no one's done since Bonds. But if you want to discount Bonds, you could say things that no one's done since, you know, uh, the, the the likes of Roger Maris or, or, or Babe Ruth or what have you. But what Otani did was stuff that no one has ever done. And, and he did things that no we thought that no one was ever even possible of doing. We didn't think that you could have somebody who had legitimate uh, Cy Young contender. He was, I think, fourth place in Cy Young voting. I had him as my Cy Young um, I think a lot of guys had him in the second place spot for Cy Young and one guy didn't vote for him at all. So it dropped him out down to fourth. Um, but yeah, I think that given Otani's pitching season of being essentially a top three, top four pitcher in the American league, and then also on the offense, um, you know, I think he was top three or four in American league home runs. Uh, you're essentially a, an all-star DH. You're the second best DH in MLB. 
um, behind Jordan, who was third in MVP voting. So I just like, there's so much stuff that kind of points to, we never thought that we'd see a guy that's able to do this. Um, I think if you told us, Travis, that, you know, a player is going to break the uh, 61 Maris number in the American League uh, this season, we'd be like, oh, wow, you know, like, that's crazy. But it wouldn't have been like, that's not possible, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think of a few year, a few years ago, before Otani really put it together, if, if we kind of said, you know, this guy's going to be top five hitter and pitcher in MLB, we would have been like, that doesn't make any sense. But either way... Um, we've kind of covered it at length, so I don't want to get too much into it. Uh, I think that Judge, uh, he did pretty much everything uh, perfect this season. Like, I can't take anything away from what he did. I just think that Otani was that much more special. But yeah. uh, Judge, of course, the 62 home runs is a special milestone for that. I, I've said it before, I think, but I think even more impressive is how good his OPS, his OPS plus numbers being like over 200. That's some historic hallowed ground there. Um, very few guys have had the offensive output in a single season to kind of reach some of the OPS figures he was putting up. His ability to just to get walks and to mash the ball um, for the course of the 162, even though the last couple of weeks he might have slowed down a little bit. Um, the, the rate-based stats were super impressive for him. So um I, I i can't take anything away from it uh and then just just to briefly cover the nl side of things um we both had a really good feeling it was going to be goldschmidt um arenado and machado were just kind of these two interesting mirror mirror candidates mm-hmm. uh, that looked almost identical when you kind of match them up against each other but goldschmidt just had the offense in the nl locked up um and the voters just kind of said this guy uh even though the third baseman kind of took made some ground up uh, towards the very end um, it was Goldschmidt's award. It, it makes sense, even though we uh, did. You picked Goldschmidt to win the award. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was my my second or third choice, but uh, we all knew that uh, Goldschmidt was going to take home the trophy. And Charles, I think that's a fun little tidbit: is that um, Goldschmidt's a guy that this might help his Hall of Fame kind of case, or like yeah. depending on how he ages. You know, it seems like his bat's going to age pretty well because he's not that young anymore. But he just put up his best offensive season to date. I think that this is the kind of thing that might make a bit of a difference if you can say, oh, yeah, remember that really special year he had in uh, St. Louis where he looked like his Diamondback self, right? So you could kind of point to that and say, if he can put up another season like this or maybe just a couple seasons that are a little bit worse than this, we're talking about a guy who's probably going to get some uh, Hall of Fame consideration. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, any extra thoughts on that? Yeah, the only big surprise, too, was uh, looking at the NL side that they broke up the two Cardinals. It was Goldschmidt, Machado, Arenado. I, I mean, I, I think me and you thought that Arenado was going to get second just because Machado just, I think, has a... Uh, an edge yeah <laughs> i think him and the media don't get along as great as the media with arenado so i think that we thought that machado would slightly uh you know lose out on the two spot but they actually separated both cardinals that, that was definitely a uh, a little bit of a surprise but um, one last surprise travis um i i don't know what the best way for them would have done what their best way to address this would have been but it is an absolute crime to me that Otani didn't win the MVP. That's fine. You know, we all kind of saw that coming. Yep. Is taking home no hardware for this season. Mm. Did not win. Did, was not nominated for a gold glove, which I always say is silly, but it's arguing for a pitcher gold glove is definitely kind of yeah. 
questionable. It, it, it's 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 not. There's no good defensive metrics to like say yeah. how good was your pitcher at defense. But I still say that Otani makes some really impressive plays off the mound. He's always quick off the mound. He's got great reaction time. But besides that, let's just go past the Gold Glove uh, thing. No uh, DH Silver Slugger, which makes sense because Jordan Alvarez had the best DH season this year. Yep. But then he was nominated for the Utility Award as well for Silver Slugger, which Calling it a utility silver slugger is kind of interesting because it kind of makes you think, what do they really care about for mm-hmm. that spot? Mm-hmm. Because Otani's not a typical utility player. He's a different type of utility player because he's pitching and hitting instead of being like a utility player. Yep. But either way, he was nominated for that, and they gave it to Luis Arise instead. And that, to me, Travis... Criminal. <laughs> Arise was a great contact hitter this year, but besides batting average, he really had nothing on Otani. Eight eight home runs to Otani's 34. Yeah, yep. and, and so like it's like, what, what are we really factoring in here as what we care about? You know, if we're going to give Arise the award, it's like, are we just ranking them based on batting average? Like, that's the only thing he topped Otani. Otani was uh, such a more... I guess, you know, dynamic and uh, powerful plate presence. Um, if, if, an, if a voter said that I don't, I don't consider Otani a real utility player, that might make sense to me because I don't really know why he was nominated for two different Silver Slugger awards. Yeah. But at the end of the day, to not win the MVP and not take on any other hardware, obviously the Hank Aaron Award went to judge. We all knew that was going to happen. So like mm-hmm. none of this hardware at all going into Otani's trophy case at home for his 2022 season, I think is pretty uh, criminal. There has to be a way to get a silver slugger to his name. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they gave him the utility award nomination almost to kind of give him that chance because we knew that your Don was winning the silver slugger and judge winning the MVP and some other voters still went with a rise. So <laughs> it, Very true. It, it, it's, it's really sad for me that Otani, uh, I mean, it, it is what it is. I'm sure yeah. Otani's not losing sleep over it, but um, maybe it'll just inspire him to come back with the vengeance next year. Yeah, and, and that's where you kind of can look at too with some of these awards, where if you just base, um, you just base, you know, a, a player's Hall of Fame status just on these awards, you kind of can look at look at it and and not really appreciate or look at it and and say, you know, you you were the second best player in the in the American League, or you know, you're the second best player in in all of MLB. I, I truly think if you had to make, you know if you looked at the three MVP finalists of both leagues and put them, put them on a, uh, a, you know, a list for who's the, now the league MLB MVP, it'd probably be judge. And then of course, I think Otani would be, of course be better than Goldschmidt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that's, that's fair to say as well. So uh, it, it's, it's just interesting that you, you, you look at that kind of stuff where, where Shohei is basically taking home no hardware. And some people really would judge that and say, well, he didn't bring home anything this year. He was just was an all-star. And so uh, we know of course how special he was and. And hopefully, uh, I think it's it's the first week of December, Alex. That's when we'll find out with the whole all MLB teams uh, when, when we look at all that. So, you know, I can I see him getting screwed again? I definitely can see him getting screwed again. And, and it, it probably will happen, which will be really sad. But uh, you're you're so right in, in saying that no hardware going to him is is, is an absolute tragedy. And, and that's something that, you know, hopefully next year can be adjusted and and he can take home the Cy Young and the MVP <laughs> and shove it in everyone's faces. But right. uh, that's the awards. Uh, you know, award season was fun. It's great making our predictions. It's great seeing the outcomes, seeing how they all, all do that. Me and Alex, that, that that's our big Vegas bets every single season. We, we go into Vegas and we love to just predict the Cy Youngs, predict the MVPs on those things. And so it's not, always, it's always fun to, uh, to see and speculate and see of course how the results 
come come out. But no, yeah, not quite as good as our first year as we were this year. Exactly. Um, I I still think that if if I mean this wouldn't really be fair because Vegas would probably like the odds of the payout would be terrible. But yep. if there was a way to predict like top five finishes, I'd be great at that. <laughs> That's where my strength would lie because I I had I had Machado to win the uh NL MVP and he yes. gets second of course. Yep. Um, and that's the biggest kick to the groin probably right there if, if your guy gets second you're just you're thinking to yourself oh my god you, you, somehow someone had to just slightly edge him out and yeah. that would have been a good payout but yeah right and yeah. and so anyways yeah it's like we got close in a lot of the categories but uh i think you had judge right i had judge yep so that, that, that was some good payout right there and then i don't i mean i never would have never would have thought justin verlander having the bounce back he did um, and then I had Cease, who was a finalist. Okay, you had Cease as which well. Which is just another yeah. like close but no cigar moment. Alcantara, I know he had a good season last year. Didn't think at all that he would be um, at that level. At that level, with especially going up against Degrom and Scherzer in the same division, um, and then of course Burns, the season he had. Uh, and I also thought that guys like Bueller and you know Freddie Peralta of the Brewers would have good seasons as well and really progress uh, progress their status, but uh, did not. And then of course. Um, you, I did. Did you have Julio in Rookie of the Year? I know you had some a lot of Rookie of the Year. I did, picks, not. But did not. I, okay. I don't think I hit either Rookie the of the Year. The odds were too. Were too. Uh, it was. It was. He was like the favorite. So yeah, I just steered like away plus from Plus two hundred, which I mean, you're gonna have to put down a hundred bucks to really make a difference with that kind of stuff. So I, sometimes you really can't make those kind of bets. Yeah, I think I also had like Aaron Nola, who I forget if he finished. He was top five. Fourth, fifth, yeah, yeah somewhere yeah. around there. So, yeah, like I said, Vegas. If <laughs> make, you make, make a top five category. If, if yeah. you make it, you predict a top five finalist, I will be uh, stealing your guys' yep. money. But, yep. uh, Travis, I'm already looking forward to next season, pre- uh, preseason, making our picks again. But, yes. Um, we will save that for another episode, of course, towards the end of the offseason once we figure out where all these guys are going to be playing next season. That brings us to our next segment of this episode, Travis. We need to talk about where some of these guys are going to be playing. Lots of free agents and even uh, on top of that, trade candidates all over the league. Um, There's been a lot of action since it feels like the World Series just ended. And we already are seeing lots of teams are lots of teams looking for new players, uh, signing players, making trades. So we'll start, Travis. Let's actually start with this. I have a fun little game I want to start off with a little icebreaker for this section. Um, I wrote down a thing saying rank their contracts, and we'll rank it in terms of total money. Okay. So just don't wor- ignore the amount per year. Okay. Total money. It's just going to be the big four shortstops. Mm-hmm. Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, Dansby Swanson, all four of those guys, all-stars, all four of those guys, uh, free agents currently. Mm-hmm. All our guys, we probably expect to change teams. Um, there's a small chance that you know they could reach a deal with their with their previous team, but it feels like all those guys are kind of on the move and they're going to be targeted by lots of people. Bidding wars going on. So um, if you need a little bit of time to think or talk it out, mm-hmm. you, you you can. But Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, Xander, and Dansby. What would you think? Uh, highest? Who's going to be the lowest? How do you think that whole thing stacks up? Yeah, I think the highest, and I, I strongly think the highest is going to go Correa. Um, I think he might be the youngest or one of the youngest. I'm, I don't quite know exactly if Dansby is 30. I know Correa is not 30. He's in his 20s still. So I think Correa has to be 
the highest uh, the highest contract uh, getter. And then I think when you look at the next guy up, it has to be Trey Turner. I think those are the two easiest, um, you know, highest contract shortstops right now for what Correa provides. It's it's almost kind of like a little mini Alex Rodriguez in terms of he provides the power and great defense uh, at the shortstop position. And then Trey Turner, um, good power, good pop, but we all know Trey Turner is basically a, a just a speed demon out there. I mean, uh, stealing bases, you know, uh, turning broken bat singles into, you know, almost almost doubles. And then, of course, automatic first to third on any ball hit into the outfield, uh, scoring from first to home tons and tons of times. So uh, Trey Turner brings that sort of, you know, style of play into, 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 you know, his team's success, at the shortstop spot, also playing good defense. So I think those are the top two. Number three, I think it will go to, I think it will go to Dansby. Um, Dansby, the last couple seasons, I think this year too, as well. I, I think Dansby's war this year is pretty high. Um, and, and he seemed to have had a really good power season, a good power surge this year. And then I think Xander will probably get the smallest one. I think you know, with, with Xander, it's it's you know I feel like the guy is, is is pretty old out there, but he's he's actually I think he's thirty years old right now, Alex. He's actually October first turned thirty. Wow. I think Xander his numbers, his power numbers have, have dipped a little bit. His his contact is still really good. Um, I still think that a lot of GMs and a lot of front offices are looking at guys that can you know still provide good pop and good power. I don't know if Xander is going to provide that for the next seasons to come. So I think that he'll be the fourth highest when it comes of uh, of total contract money. I think it'll be Correa, Trey Turner, Dansby, and then Xander Bogarts. And where they're going, I mean, that's the biggest mystery. There's so many teams in play. Uh, hopefully my team, of course, Angels are majorly in play for one of these guys, uh, if not one of the, you know, one of these four Two of the guys, Trey Turner and Correa, those are, of course, the ones that you want to land. Um, those are those are game changers. Those are uh, series changers. I, I think that the, both those guys can make huge impacts. They've had huge success in the playoffs already, and that's what teams really want to have when they get these kind of players. But that's where I'll, I'll rank those guys, Alex. Yeah, I think that's a good... Uh, I, I think I almost completely agree. I might go Trey over Correa, okay. not, not because of my interpretation of their value, but... I, I think that there's a chance that maybe front offices, I don't know. I think there could be some level of uh, fearing Correa injury history, but mm-hmm. he, the last two seasons he's been very uh, stable, been he's able to it, yeah. been able to stay on the field. So um, it feels like Trey, even though maybe maybe early Nationals he had some injury stuff, but ever since he got traded he's been um, super reliable. He's been really like the one of these examples of these guys like almost like Lindor as well, like, um, and Freeman, like these guys who literally are playing like, you know, yep. almost 160 games. So, um, I think every year since 2018, he's played about 90, I think it's about like 90% or more of the games in a season. In every so, season. Yeah. So okay. he, he's, he's been an Ironman at the shortstop position. 2019, he only played 122 games, but that's that, you know, that, that, that position is so demanding that you can, ha- you know, afford to take some days off. But right. 2020, 59 games out of 60, 2021, 148 out of 162. And then this year, 160 out of 162. So, right. um, I mean, 
he, he the is, durability he's is very is, durable. Is something that's going to be an incentive for an owner who's going to cough up big money saying, oh, I want my guy to be able to. I want to know that at least for the first part of this deal, yeah. um, he's going to be here every day putting up numbers. So um, I can see it either way, but for Correa and Trey Turner being, you know, who's going to make the bigger contract. But um, yeah, I also think that, you know, the Xander versus uh, Dansby conversation is fun as well. Um, Xander, probably the more consistent bat, but Dansby, the guy who, um, you know, I think is maybe a bit more hype just off the 2022 season he just had. So, yeah. um, should be fun there. I'm excited to see how they shape up and we'll talk about, you know, predictions for where those guys will land in a future episode. I'm sure, um, in the next coming episodes, we'll have to like break down some of our biggest, uh, predictions and, and uh, like team needs and stuff. But for the time being, Travis, we're going to get now into the news. That's stuff that's already happened just to kind of uh, start us off this free agency period. So the Padres, Travis, uh, this was the first deal that was on my radar. Um, I think I'm going chronologically here, but um, it was announced that the Padres are re-signing uh, Robert Suarez, mm-hmm. right? The reliever to a five-year contract. Wow. That Travis is something to me that I mean I think it's kind of stunned. You'll see. <laughs> it's stunned it's stunned the baseball uh online community a little bit, right? Because um I think it's right here, five years, forty six million. So uh the average per year is nothing like too like worrisome, I yep. guess. Yep. But it is definitely just a substantial contract for a guy who was pretty unproven before this season, right? Like not a guy who was, you know, penciled in for a five-year deal going into this season, but yeah. um, he had a great season of relief. He was good in the playoffs. He was really good in the playoffs, I'd say. But the position of relief pitcher is so volatile that literally season to season, it's really hard to kind of know what you're going to get. And uh, if that's not the pitcher's fault, it's just the nature of the job. You're pitching, say, 60 innings in a season, for example. If you pitch 60 innings... Um, you know, if you're a starting pitcher, you could have like a bad first half and then rebound the second half. But 60 innings for a reliever, it's like there's not enough time to rebound. Like you're yeah. just going to all of a sudden start losing uh, high leverage opportunities. You give up a couple bad home runs early in the season, it will just inflate your ERA like crazy. So it's really kind of tricky when giving out these long term deals, but they must see something they love in Robert Suarez. Um, I imagine he'll be their closer once Hader's gone. Mm-hmm. Hader's on contract for next season, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure mm-hmm. they're going to extend him. I think they want Soros to kind of move into that role afterwards. One good thing, I think, even though he's um, – what's his age here? I think he's actually on the older side. Um, I'm going to try to figure this out right now. But um, the interesting thing, Travis, is that he does not have a lot of miles at all on his arm because even though he is older than the average relief pitcher that is getting this kind of deal the thing that he has going for him is he just is playing his kind of first um successful season right like he he, it's not like he has a lot of miles at the big league level on this arm right he has a lot of his you know say every, every reliever say they have like a certain amount of pitches before they kind of like start breaking down this guy is just kind of getting started in that regard he yeah. had 47 innings 32 uh, this year by march yeah he'll be 32 in march and they gave him five years travis yeah so, so 37 year old reliever yep yeah you, yep. you're paying them you know a decent amount so um even though he is had his third age 31 season just now which seems old for a reliever that's getting a five-year deal 
um, they must say that this guy has only 47 big leagues inning on his arm and he was really effective in in so many ways so any other thoughts uh i know i talked a bit there but any other thoughts on that signing did surprise you too yeah i mean i think the padres are just in a serious i don't know if if you know i and i i don't want to bash them for being so aggressive I, i think that they just see a guy like this and they say to themselves you know he might give us two years. The next two years might be really good. And after that, it might just really suck, but we're still going to pay him. I think the, the Potters are in such a focus mode of we want to win a championship in the next two to three years. That that That's our big window, getting all these guys um, on board. I think even next year would be a huge window to win a World Series because you're going to have Soto. You're going to have Tatis. You're going to have Machado. You're going to have Hayter. You're going to have... Uh, you know, you're going to have you Darvish and I think the last year of Blake Snell. So I think that they almost are looking at this season, this upcoming season and next as kind of their huge window. I don't know exactly when Soto is officially going to be the free agent. And, you know, their plans, of course, are probably to extend him. But uh, it, it's it seems like they're 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 paying for players maybe way past they want to have them to be successful in but they almost just have to dish them out and give them those contracts because they know they're going to be good for the next couple seasons and that's what's really matters so um I, I respect it at the same time it might not be the smartest decision but who knows you know maybe these guys can be still you know decently good uh you know going all the way up to 2027 2028 until robert suarez is going to be a free agent again and probably retire but We'll have to see exactly what happens. But, uh, you know, the aggressiveness is still up by the Padres. They want to win heavily. So uh, I, I can definitely respect that. And I, honestly, I'm looking at it right now, Alex, and I think that Suarez has not pitched in the major leagues since th- this is his first season. It looked yeah. Like. So, I mean, I mean, the, the you break in the into 31 and <laughs> that's your first year. Yeah, the mileage in the arm is definitely low, which kind of makes them have more confidence that he's not going to break down uh, in his mid-30s, they hope. Um, the next signing we're going to cover, Travis, is uh, Rafael Montero for the Astros, a f- another reliever that got a multi-year deal, three-year deal. Kind of surprising to me that he's earning that level of money um, and you know, committed to three years. Yeah. Um, just another example of a team that has playoff, you know, World Series level aspirations, and they want to lock up the relievers. And for me, Travis, these two kind of signings combined into like this bigger story of a lot of the big relief options are off the table. Like those were yeah. two of the better relievers mm-hmm. that were going to be free agents and their teams extended them or gave them these new contracts before they really had time to negotiate with all the other teams in free agency. So I it almost, must see something they like. <laughs> it's almost like the Astros and the Padres are saying, we don't want to risk these guys going somewhere else. And then we're trying to scramble late in uh, winter to try to, you know, figure out our bullpen situation and fill up any holes. They said, let's get out in front of it now. Well, maybe we'll overpay a little bit or give maybe a little bit, maybe a few more years than we want to, but we'll feel very confident for the next season or two or three and say, you know, we have guys that we trust um, and aren't, aren't going to have to, you know, scramble to fill up, yeah. you know, a weak bullpen because that's just the last thing you want to be kind of worrying about as the options start fading away and you have to kind of really start digging um for like different minor leaguers and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah. And then again, another guy that's 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 north of 30. He's 32 right now. And so he'll be he'll be an Astro until you know at least 35, 36. So uh another guy that's getting uh you know significant money. But it, it's funny, him and Presley, both guys making what north of 10 mil AAV. And 
you know, you're looking at your, I think Presley's is like $15 million a year. And so now you're looking at $25 million dished out to your closer and a guy that might come in in the eighth or the seventh or the sixth. Yeah. We don't know how they're going to match it up, but, uh, again, aggressiveness being early, they want to lock these guys in and keep that bullpen relatively, uh, dominant for the next couple of years. Yeah. I think that overall, I'm not going to sit here and say that I mean, I, I, I have a lot of respect for the Padres and Astros' uh, decision-making. I do think the Padres, like you said, there's a level of like aggressiveness that almost seems it's a little too much at times just because um, you don't want to mortgage the future for the present yep. um, to too much of a degree. I think at a certain point it makes sense if you kind of respect your window, but they do have different areas to address this offseason. I think Will Myers is a free agent. Bell's a free agent. Jury's a free agent. So it's like, okay, we have some serious things to consider. Beat and Clevenger's a free agent. It's like we can't just focus all our money on a on a setup man, you know, for a five year contract. Yeah. But I do think that you know they're aware of that. Obviously, I'm not breaking any news to them. Uh, I think that they will figure out how to address everything else. Um, I, I like overall the deals for both teams just in the fact that they are just saying we will do what it takes to give us some bullpen security. So uh, respect to the, those uh, – the, good good job for those players too because yes. getting that level of security as a relief pitcher in your 30s is, is going to be hard to come by. So I get why they jumped on those deals. The next contract here, Travis, that we're going to discuss, Anthony Rizzo returning to the Yankees two years, $20 million per year each year. So a lot of money for him. He is someone who, for me, a little bit tough to kind of say what you're going to get year to year because Cubs Anthony Rizzo was someone who was like almost like a 400 on base percentage guy with maybe, you know, 30 home run potential. Um, obviously this is, you're getting 900 OPS almost every year. Yeah. yeah and, and obviously this is, a, this is a different era of baseball when the ball was juiced, especially in 2019, he had one of his better years in my book with a great on base percentage. Um, and of course that was the year of the, of the juiced ball. Now we're in a different era of more of a dead ball. He still has great long ball potential, especially in the Bronx, especially in that New York stadium, that, uh, short porch in right is something that um, he can take advantage of, but you know he's not going to have any trouble hitting the ball out of the ballpark. I don't think his his. I still love his kind of plate discipline and his ability to get walks, but the average was low this year in comparison to some years past. He kind of almost might be changing the approach a bit into a bit more of a you know 21st century like long ball approach yep. a little bit less contact perhaps. But give me your thoughts on this contract. Um, it makes sense to me the Yankees want to secure first base because if he were to walk, that'd be a wide open position for them. They'd have like, oh, maybe we put LeMahieu there every day, but then that kind of feels like a waste of LeMahieu. I'm not yes. sure, but but give me your thoughts on, on them uh, saying we want to bring Rizzo back. Yeah, good move by the Yankees. I think besides Judge, he is their most reliable hitter in that lineup. I mean, you, you look at Glaber, you look at uh, IKF, you look at Donaldson, just guys that you just injuries. don't, yeah, you don't know what you're going to get from some of these guys. They're just going to go on dry spells. They're going to get injured. I feel like Rizzo, besides Judge, Rizzo was kind of that backbone of that lineup. Had a monster April, started out the season hot, and then of course kind of transitioned into just that. Uh, you know, I, I think he was batting. I mean, anywhere between second and fifth, or second and fourth, probably in that lineup throughout the season, but. Uh, understood the assignment he had to go out there and and helped with the team to get get the dub that's that that game but 
uh, I, I really, I, I like the signing. I think Rizzo is an exceptional first baseman for a team that is not looking to spend huge amounts of money, but you're almost going to get all-star level talent. I think Rizzo is a perfect guy. And I think the, even the, the Astros were really upset that, that he went back to New York. Astros were looking to hopefully steal him away and, and Would have been interesting. almost get better production at first base than they got from Guriel. So it, it would have made that Astros team uh, a, a little bit more dangerous on on the offensive side, looking at the guys that will be returning next year. So um, it, it's funny that the Yankees looked at it and said, you know, we cannot let this guy walk to Houston and Houston will just continuously get better and we'll probably meet them in the playoffs again. They're going to beat us again and they'll also have Rizzo this time. But a good signing to get the Yankees uh, to get this guy locked up for the next couple seasons uh, in pinstripes. Like I said, he was he was one of their most reliable guys. I felt like all season, uh, and, and it seemed like, other than Judge, it was Rizzo who was who was you know bouncing back in a big way in a game. So, uh, good move by the Yankees to lock this guy up at least for the next two years. Yeah, uh, I, I like the point about how Astros um, were pursuing him. It was I, I forget who reported it, but someone did make a report saying that the Astros were like all their focus was on Rizzo and that really would have been another scary threat in their lineup. Yeah. Um, man, I can't imagine being a righty pitcher and in one inning you have to face, you know, Rizzo Alvarez and Tucker, like just some, some real lefty mashers that would have been crazy in one lineup. But I do think that the Yankees understood that they don't want to let him go to a rival team. They may have, I'm not sure, 20 mil a year for, for, you know, this version of Rizzo to me seems like maybe it's a little bit steep. I'm not yeah, sure, but yeah, it does. But it, again, it, it, it gets to the same point, Travis, that I feel like an owner acknowledges we are in win now mode. It's okay to overpay a bit for guaranteed production. I mean, there's no such thing as a guarantee, but in baseball, Rizzo is pretty consistent as it's going to get at the first base spot. So I like the deal personally as well for kind of both sides. Um, moving on, Travis, Tyler Anderson. Three-year deal with the Angels. First time Let's go. our team, the Angels, <laughs> has dished out a multi-year deal for a starting pitcher since, since Joe Blanton. Joe Blanton. Was that 20, like 13? 2013, like which I I don't even understand how that's even... Long, uh, long overdue, let's put it that way. Yes, yeah. So he's a guy, Travis, obviously, you could call it a breakout year with the Dodgers. He's just one of these guys that... Um, He's just been floating around free agency for, uh, you know, here and there or trade rumors here and there. And the Angels had kind of been linked to him before, uh, but of course went to the Dodgers this last season, saw a big uptick in his uh, rate stats. The ERA is the career best. Um, He was able to kind of do high volume as well. He was able to stay healthy the whole year. So obviously the Dodgers tapped into some certain things. One thing I know uh, that I want to make a note of, Travis, is the Dodgers really increased the changeup usage? It has been his best pitch, and it's something that I see a common thread for Angels too. Travis, they really like guys with a good changeup. I think, and they really try to make guys with good changeups kind of focus on their changeup. Uh, Patrick Sandoval is the biggest example for me. Travis, his changeup is absolutely uh, a monster pitch. Um, it's kind of almost his primary pitch in some ways. Uh, it's it's his go-to pitch um, in in against really both hands of, of hitters, um, and then of course Jose Suarez developed a changeup that has gotten a lot better 
um, in his time starting for the Angels. So I, I just I just see the Angels pitching, whoever's in charge of their kind of pitching lab or their pitching development. Um, I think they must see something they really like in Tyler Anderson's changeup. They want to keep doing what the Dodgers were doing by having him use that pitch a lot. And overall, I think it's great for the Angels to finally say, you know, they didn't have to go try to get the biggest fish on the market, which of course that's still something that could happen down the road, but they kind of acknowledge the importance of we can give out a more multi-year a multi-year deal to a depth guy and not have to say, okay, let's dump all our money on a big piece and then kind of say, screw the rest of it. No, we'll give a 30-year kind of reasonable contract to a guy like Tyler Anderson, who's not going to be our ace, but our second or third best pitcher. Um, and then I think that's a great spot to be if you're the Angels rotation. So any other thoughts when you saw the Angels made that deal? A smart and a good move, not a huge deal, which I think that is that is great in looking at what the Angels want to accomplish this offseason and in, in, in future offseasons. So I really like that and getting a pitcher who had a year that kind of he put everything together. I, I mean, I think last year he was on Pittsburgh and a lot of teams liked what he had to offer. Some of the advanced stats, I think, were were decent for him and ended up getting traded to Seattle. Didn't have a really good time in Seattle. Uh, and then, of course, went to the Dodgers, I think, on a one-year deal for cheap money. And the Dodgers basically turned it around for him. So uh, really like what he put together last year. I think he had a no-hitter against the Angels in the ninth inning or something like that uh, at Dodger Stadium. So, of course, that's really nice to see as well. But uh, a, ch- a cheap and a productive pitcher that we we desperately need um and it's it's funny the angels rotation now is just looking like otani and then lefty 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 so that's right um we'll have to see and track exactly what their plans are for the rest of the offseason if they want to go out there and get maybe a veteran right-handed pitcher that uh kind of mix things up right there because i i will say going into the season it, it won't be troubling but it will be very interesting on how they handle it you know last year the dodgers had heaney Kershaw, Anderson, Urias. So they had a bunch of lefties as well when things turned out great. Maybe that will happen with the Angels. Maybe it won't happen with the Angels. Maybe teams will really line up and see, okay, after Otani pitchers, now we got three or four lefties to face. So we'll just input all of our righties into the lineup and we'll play it matchups like that. But uh, it so far is a great signing for the Angels to go out there and get a guy that can go uh, possibly right behind Otani in the uh, the one-two order of the rotation uh, and a guy that doesn't really have an ego, I, I like as well. A guy that still, I think, is still trying to prove his MLB career to um, to the voter, to, to the to the uh, to the media, to, to to award voters, to a lot of different people. So I, th- I really like that as well with him. As you know, going forward, is that he, I think, is a humble guy that is still looking to prove to the baseball world that he can be a dominant pitcher. So I like it. Yeah, I also, like we said about the ego component, because uh, something that the general manager, Perry Manassian, always brings up, I always, it's funny, almost every time they, they sign someone, Perry talks about the mental makeup. You, you yeah. hear him say that buzzword, the, the, <laughs> let's talk about the mental makeup. He thinks that Tyler Anderson is someone who has a good mental makeup for the team, um, almost like a, a business way of saying he has some dog in him, you know, he has some uh, ferocity, he's down to kind of... Uh, I don't know. He's he's gonna he's gonna be in attack mode out there. He's trying yep. to be a winner. He's not trying to kind of coast um, by coming to Anaheim. I did I do think a big reason why I picked Anaheim was because that three year deal was something he wasn't really hearing from other teams. There was a qualifying offer by the Dodgers, uh, and and so that means that 
it would have been one year, like 19-ish million. And, mm-hmm. and so he's taking less per year to be an angel, but three years guaranteed is something that is, uh, I'm sure every pitcher that's in their 30s is something that they want to have, yep. uh, that they can kind of lock in and say, you know, we have some job security now. Let's go out there and get the job done. Another thing that's trending very well for the Angels is they have the former pitching development uh, director at Driveline, which is a place where a lot of pitchers go in the offseason to kind of rework some things. Um, I'm a big fan of what they do, even though I don't know that much about it, because they just simply get results, um, really focus on some of the analytics behind all the different spin efficiencies and just just lots of advanced stuff with um, pitchers kind of tweak making these tweaks. And he is now a member of the Angels, the guy who used to be director of pitching at, at Driveline. He's now, I think, the assistant pitching coach. So I'm really interested to see, Travis, how the pitching side of the Angels develops this season. I think when they target a guy, they probably see something that they like, and I kind of trust the direction that they're going with in regards to pitching. Definitely the most of you know the Mike Trout era, I would say this year is the year where I really trust mm-hmm. um, the decision-making in terms of pitching, who we're targeting, um, and then my expectation for how they're going to perform because after Shohei being the first guy, it really feels like the two, three, four spots. We're talking about uh, Patrick Sandoval, uh, Detmers, Reed Detmers, and Tyler Anderson. That's like a two, three, four where you can almost put them in any order, and it's almost like they're all be almost competing for the second spot, and I yep. feel like they all have something to prove in different ways. Sandoval feels like he could make that jump to All Star probably. Detmers knows he's a first round pick that you know wants to become an ace someday, and then Anderson's this older kind of veteran statesman that is saying, you know, I still got something to prove as well. Um, not a World Series winner, and I'm sure he's something he wants to prove himself in the playoffs. Um, again, he pitched very solidly for the Dodgers even in the playoffs. Um, so I think that you know he might have some veteran leadership that might help some of the younger guys in the staff. But overall, I love it. Travis, let's transition to the other Angels signing now so we can get them out of the way. Gio Urshela traded. One of the first big trades, I'd say, of the offseason is going from Minnesota Twins to, of course, the LA Angels in exchange for just a... a Travis, I'll be honest. I follow the Angels' depth and their minor <laughs> leaguers yep. pretty closely. A guy I've never heard of. Um, and that's no shot to him. I hope he has a great, successful career. Um, but he is no longer. I, 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 I lost his name. I had it written down, but it's, it's gone. But either way, Travis, it's a long one, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that the Urshela fit with the Angels is, um, I think it's. I'm gonna say perfect, but maybe that's a little exaggeration. But I think it's very good. I think that uh, the big reason why they targeted him is because the team finally said, let's stop with this um, making one or two big signings and then just saying, we'll sign a bunch of guys on $1 million deals, right? We'll get, we'll get Duffy. We'll get Goslin. We'll get, you, we'll know. Get, you know, Tyler Wade, these guys yeah. who just kind of come in for $1 million a year. And and, are, we knew, are, and we know their primes are way, way past them. Yeah. Urshel is a, 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 although it is a one, he has one year left before he's a free agent. He's a guy that we're not just kind of settling for our depth being $1 million you know, minimum contracts or, or, or guys who get, you know, minor league contracts yep. and they end up coming up like a Juan Lagares type, end up coming up and getting, you know, a full month of, of starting, uh, be, being considered a starter when you really haven't kind of earned that in my mind. But Urshel is a guy, Travis, who I expect to play all, all around the diamond. Mm-hmm. Um, the GM Perry Manassian did say that he expects Urshela 
you know, to fit in naturally at first base. I assume as an alternate with Jared, Jared Walsh platoon kind of situation. Walsh could also get dealt, of course. We'll see how that develops. But also I could see him playing some second base as well. Um, I could see him playing some outfield as well. So he's just going to be a kind of utility guy. In my mind, he really is uh, this year's version of why we got Matt Duffy last year. Matt Duffy last year was used at second base, third base, at first base, pinch hitter, um, lots of situations. Urshela is going to be almost that kind of same role, but someone who you can probably expect a lot more out of, in my opinion, at least. More power, right? Going to have more power for yep. sure. I mean, Matt Duffy, uh, did he finally hit a home run last year? I think he had one. <laughs> and, and <laughs> one so, or two, yeah. <laughs> so I just think that going for Urshela is going to be uh, you're getting a utility player, um, but it's not in the same way as years past where we kind of target a guy who's just um, willing to sign anywhere. Anyone that any, It's almost like some of these guys, Travis, like a Tyler Wade type, Velasquez yeah. type. They'll sign whoever will take them. But mm-hmm. Urshela is actually uh, somewhat of a commodity, I'd say. I'd say mm-hmm. that it's going to be mm-hmm. a good addition. So um, what was your thoughts when you saw that trade come through and how do you see him fitting in yeah. next year? Initial thought, of course, was, oh, no, did we just trade this guy for to be our starting shortstop, you know, are, are we right. looking at Rochelle because he does have a shortstop background. He has a lot of backgrounds, actually. I mean, secondary positions is basically every single position on the diamond except for catcher. But hearing what Perry had to say and saying we want him to have a, you know, we want to be a great depth team and we want him for the depth, that, of course, really calmed me down. And then I started to go more towards what you were saying. I love this pick. I love the way we can kind of be aggressive out there and say, we're going to get Gio Urshela, who is not an all-star type player, but he can definitely be that type of player, if, I think, if he he was in the right position. But uh, playing him at first base, you know, will he hit against lefties and Walsh will only hit against righties? That could be an option. We've seen, of course, now Rendon go, go out with injuries for the last, you know, three straight seasons. So um, I think that having him depth-wise at third base is huge second and shortstop Urshela can play both those spots well so of course maybe letting some guys have days off or if we don't get the same production from Renjifo or Soto or Fletcher he can maybe slide into that spot and be successful there also playing left and right field probably at some times and during the uh during the season I, I think it's just it's a great depth spot and even if we go out there and get another shortstop I mean Imagine your team at Gio Urshela on the bench. I mean, I mean, he's a guy that starts on most MLB ball clubs. So again, really like the pick. I think we're getting away from this Matt Duffy, Tyler Wade type of you know bench player, which I, again we we've we've seen. I, yeah, I, I hate to bash them, but it's it, it is nice, Travis, that like yeah. hopefully this year in June or July when someone goes down with injury, whether it be Fletcher, Renhifo, Walsh, uh, Rendon, we hopefully won't be in a situation where we're like scrambling on like you know oh jonathan Villar got cut by the cubs yeah thank goodness yes. let's sign him it's like no like hopefully we can stop with this scrambling to fill in our depth um because we're so shallow um i think the depth is the one thing that we were really missing last mm-hmm. year because we know the angels have the top level talent with otani and trout i would argue ward and rendon when they're playing their best are also all-star caliber players after that you just need five six seven eight hitters that can somewhat be average and if you had that for the whole season this pitching staff is going to be good enough um the team should be a lot better than last year so i just think getting these depth pieces that are actually going to be contributors and also when they do fill in for the starters not saying Urshel won't be a starter i think it will be a starter most games yeah but i just do think that when he is kind of um filling in in a platoon type situation and stuff like that um 
it'll be nice to have a guy who's more of a trusted bat than most of the guys we've had in years past in those spots. But and also now too, giving more days for Rendon to have rest and giving you know correct giving more days for other guys to even get more more rest time. I think that you look at the last couple of seasons, guys have not been able to. Uh, you know, I, I think we've we've given days off to a lot of guys, but I, I I don't know if it's if it's been like a natural rest day where I feel like it's 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 I don't know I I just think the last, the last couple of seasons we've been giving guys, um, it's almost like we need rest just so it's it's a. Uh, it's 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 almost it's not needed in my opinion so i i, I don't right. know I, I just look at you know this depth piece being more of a uh a reliable depth piece for for third base and if rendo needs more time off or if walsh needs some time off we'll have to see if he's even still on the team but i i, I like the pick so far so good depth moved by the angels and you know it's, it's funny that now that we're starting to make a little more aggressive no, uh, noise in the offseason the angels have been the team that i think that so far have been uh you know uh, every, just, every week we're, we're, we're somewhere in the, in the, uh, in the news. So that's always nice to see. Yeah, I agree. They're always the team that year after year is in the mix for Garrett Cole and in the mix for, you know, Trevor Bauer, that yeah. one off season yeah. they're in the mix for some guys that they end up not being able to land. But I do think that, um, hopefully the tide is turning a bit in that regard. I know they're still in the market for a shortstop apparently and some corner outfield help. So we'll see how that develops. But Travis, let's keep it rolling here. Teoscar Hernandez, the probably the biggest trade of the offseason thus far that I can think of. He is going from Toronto, of course, over to Seattle. Travis, actually, interesting enough, did you know that he is going north to Seattle? Did you know that Toronto is actually further south in terms of latitude than interesting. Seattle? Interesting. A little fun yeah. geography fact for the listeners there. But um, <laughs> interesting enough, uh, Seattle is sending back, I believe his name is Eric Swanson, as, as well as another minor leaguer. Um, I think that this is the overall deal, Travis, that I would say benefits both. I think it kind of is one of these situations where uh, I think you know team needs are being addressed on both sides. Uh, I do think that it's a good deal for the Mariners considering they must believe in their bullpen depth beyond Eric Swanson, but he did just have a monster year. For those that don't know, a 1.68 ERA in 53 and two-thirds innings pitched in relief for Seattle. A 1.84 FIP, Travis, tells me that some of the improvements that he made were very legitimate. That 1.68 ERA is not some sort of fluke. Of course, he could kind of regress. I expect him to regress at some point because I don't see him staying down below a two forever. But he is someone who I think showed real uh, strides, uh, was a huge impact pitcher for them. Now we'll be going to Toronto to give them some more bullpen depth. I think that uh, Toronto kind of acknowledges we have the offense already. Let's work on some bullpen depth. I imagine they might address pitching as well or maybe get another left-handed bat. But I think that, you know, they have plenty of right-handed boppers. Teoscar was a good one, but I think they kind of know they have the depth uh, to be able to afford giving him up. I've also heard that uh, I think it's just a, strate a strategic move by Toronto to give up Teoscar because I think they plan on moving Springer to the corners and getting a new center fielder. There's been you know a little bit of buzz about them trying to target Nimmo. There could be other options, of course, in center field that are free agents that they could try to go out and get. But I think it's you know it's the first move of a sort of process for Toronto going over some changes in their team. Whereas for Seattle, Travis, I view it as them saying, let's just get some offensive reinforcement. Yep. I honestly never thought their offense was that special, 
I think what really made them was they had a good offense with some, you know, young and talent and some good pop and stuff like that. But they had um, a pretty smart uh, pitching staff and bullpen that was able to kind of get the most out of some of these guys and, and some good guys coming up, like, of course, guys like Kirby um, and a lot of bullpen names that, you know, are guys you don't really think of as impactful, but they all had great seasons last year. So I think that the deal makes sense for both sides. I think that it makes uh, Seattle better. I think that we were making jokes about this, Travis, that the Angels now have all these left-handed um these left-handed starting pitchers and they go out and get, you know, a guy who's just kind of a big fam- lefty hitter, a famous guy who just is a, he bats righty and mashes against lefty pitchers. And, and so uh, for that reason, it probably makes sense uh, tactically for them, but uh, give me your thoughts about the Teoscar deal, uh, the trade of course. And uh, you know, do you think either team won the trade or, or is it just kind of win-win? Yeah, it's a great move by Seattle. I think they won the trade. Um, and, and we'll see of course how it plays out. I mean, maybe Teoscar just, totally hits a wall yeah decreases in value and you know the 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 stats just go way down but uh i mean it was funny i think it happened the day after the the angels got tyler anderson and we all thought oh now we have you know four to five lefties in our rotation and then seattle just gets a guy that absolutely masses mashes lefty pitching but um they've been they've been pretty strong i would say in the trade market the last you know two years i mean look at last year with the reds they got uh, Suarez and Winker. Uh, Suarez had a crazy rebound year. I don't know if he's going to have that same kind of season. So uh, that was interesting. And then they also got the trade with Adam Frazier from the Padres uh, in, in that deal. And, uh, and and then I think with their with their um, the pitching was all free agency acquired. I don't think they got any. Oh, of course, Luis Castillo. Looking at that trade they got earlier, um, and, you know, this past season. So they've been hungry in the trade market, and uh, Tay Oscar is going to be a guy that will go uh, pretty well, I think, with Julio. Uh, right now, it's 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 Julio and Tay Oscar, uh, definite starters for the outfield, and they have some questions to to look at. Do they want to bring back Haniger? Haniger. Uh, they have Kelnick. They have uh, Winker, of course, with the last guy. They got rid of Kyle Lewis. Uh, he is on his way to the Arizona Diamondbacks. We'll yes. probably talk about that briefly. But uh, they've got some questions in the outfield. But I know now they definitely have a 1A and a 1B for outfield uh, defense and hitting in depth. Teoscar probably playing right field, I'm assuming, or left field. I'm not One of sure. The corners. I think it, he moved, actually. It, it, uh, he's been in right field, I think. But like last season, but it will come down to who they decide to use in their outfield because it, the rumors are kind of that Winker might be in the trade block. Yeah, Winker's been their left fielder, but maybe they trade Winker and want to keep Kelnick. Um, which I, you know, I'd be surprised if they decided to make Kelnick their opening day outfielder. But maybe he has a great spring training, and and maybe they put him in right because he's a good defender. Yeah, keep yep. Julio in center, move uh, Tasker to left. Not sure exactly how they line it up, but it is Travis definitely a move. Um. It, it kind of complete. It gives our team a little bit more completeness in my book. Yep. Giving a trusted outfielder, going ahead and giving away Kyle Lewis to, um, to the Diamondbacks. I think they're getting a catcher prospect in return. The the Mariners already have a really good catcher prospect. I think his name's Ford, um, Henry Ford, something like that. I don't remember. <laughs> um, but yeah. Anyways, I'm I'm I'm. Uh, you said the Mariners catching prospect. I'm pretty sure. Okay, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. And, and, and that's crazy to say because they already have what they have. Uh, they don't. They Cal have, Raleigh. They have Tom Murphy and then Cal Raleigh, and, and those are two uh, pretty good catchers right now. So I mean, it, it's interesting that the depth there as well. So I typed in uh, 
Oh, Harry Ford. Harry Ford. Henry Ford made the car. I was gonna say I didn't know. Uh, yeah, the the car inventor was uh was was making a comeback. But, but this this guy Harry Ford is a catcher. Uh, currently, what level in the minors is he? Single A. Okay. Single A. Good hitter. Yeah. Um. Anyways, moving on. Uh, good deal for Mariners. I think that they've been aggressive, like you mentioned, the Castillo deal, the Teoscar deal now. Uh, the Suarez slash Winker deal. They are clearly um, understand their window. Yeah, they want to be the next team up once the Astros eventually at some point. Travis, some point. We assume they'll get dethroned at some point. Um, Jordan Tucker Pena. They're all still really young. So yeah, we can only hope that at some point the the uh, the rain ends. But the Mariners want to be the team to replace them, and uh, they're being aggressive about it. So I have respect for that. We already kind of covered the Kyle Lewis. I don't have much more to say on yep. that. Um, moving on, IKF Isaiah Kiner-Falefa did get an extension. Was it a one-year six mil deal? One six, yeah. To yeah. avoid arbitration, I think so. Uh, I, I, I assume it's just going to be for depth. I, I hopefully it's a depth piece because they want to bring it back for shortstop. A lot of angry New York fans will be. Uh, yeah, will, will have to. You know, I think I think people who uh, are. I mean, it's funny. Like his strength was. I feel like was maybe batting average, but it wasn't even that good. Yeah. It was a like decent batting average, a little bit above average. But like, yeah, the pop was severely lacking last year. The defense was not 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 not, not atrocious or anything like that. But it was not like this Gold Glove level defensive effort that uh, maybe some fans had hoped for. So. Um, I do agree that it's maybe for depth. And also, I think they also will probably shop him a bit. I think that they kind of said, we don't want to let him walk away for nothing or anything like that. We don't want to go to arbitration. We'll just give him a six mil deal. Yeah. That's what he's probably worth. And we'll see if any other team is interested. But give me your thought on how they kind um, on how they will uh, either utilize him or, or maybe trade him. Yeah, I, I was surprised. I thought that New York wanted him out of there. I thought that the fans were definitely looking to move on to someone with a little bit... Uh, more slug more to upside, their stat yeah. line. So uh, it, it was a surprise that he's back. I I, feel, I think I look at it now. He, he he probably will be a depth piece. I don't know if he's going to be the opening day starting shortstop. I don't think Yankee fans want him to be with LeMahieu coming back. And then also Glaber. I think they'd almost rather take Glaber at shortstop or even uh, is it Oswald Peraza that plays uh, or is it Oswald or Oswald Cabrera that plays shortstop? One of those guys per, came in per, during per, the playoffs. Peraza, Peraza. is the shortstop. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I know one of those guys was playing and, some and, shortstop. And you wonder when Volpe will be ready. He, yeah. of course, is the top Very 10 true. prospect in all of MLB. Very true. That um, is supposed to be a shortstop. I do wonder, Peraza, Volpe, if they're going to be playing next year on the big league team. And if so, which one plays shortstop, which one gets moved over to, short, to a second base or a third base, something like that. I do think Donaldson... Um, I think they said something about him like being there to stay and they, they think he'll bounce back and stuff like that. But um, it definitely brings up some questions, right? Um, then maybe they'll wait and see how good the youngsters, like you mentioned, uh, Peraza and Volpe look in like spring training. Maybe they kind of look shaky. So they start at IKF at shortstop to begin the year and maybe, maybe plan to phase him out at some point or trade him at some point. So we'll kind of see how that goes. But um, it was a surprising one. But I mean, yeah, you like, like the depth. And then also, it's just kind of a reassurance, maybe that Volpe, they look at him being a guy they can bring up sometime in August or even July, and they, and they just want IKF to be there for the first half, you know, who knows? Sure, sure. So. I mean, at, at, at the very least, it'll be uh, an MLB guy that's probably not going to be this negative war kind of guy. He's going to put up some value at, in, in some way. But Travis, someone who 
is almost in a similar spot as IKF, but in a very different way. Uh, Cody Bellinger got non-tendered. He is no longer a member of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He is someone who really fell out of the good graces of the fan base. I think he's still someone who the fans will probably always have a soft spot for. Yes. He was so special in 2019, of course. He had some big playoff moments for them. Uh, in 2020 in uh, Texas, he did have some, I think, a big home run that put them game ahead, seven, I believe, ahead yeah. in Game 7 against the Braves in the NLCS. Uh, of course, there's and big... And dislocated his shoulder right after it. <laughs> Travis, I really do wonder... If that's still a lingering thing, I, I I don't know if if it is or not. I'm not gonna you yeah. know act like I know anything about the physiology there, but I do think that you know the, that was that was a turning point, right? He wasn't amazing in the 2020 regular season, but he had some good playoff moments. Ever since then, he's not been the same, um, and especially the last couple seasons, uh, 2021, 2022 regular seasons were not good for him whatsoever. So much so to the point that they decided to kind of let him become a free agent. There will be interest, right? But it just kind of it just kind of goes to show they couldn't even trade him. You know, I mean, who would have thought? In twenty in twenty nineteen, this guy is the MVP. He's getting comparisons to like, is this guy the new best player in baseball? He's still he was like twenty four at the time. He's like a young MVP, up and comer. Imagine imagine Dodgers would have given him like a eight year like hundred and like fifty million dollar extension. Right. I mean, I mean imagine. And, and that's another one of the smart teams is because <laughs> yeah. they probably said we're gonna wait and play this the slow game and it, it's paying off for them in that way. But he's definitely in a situation, Travis, where um it's just gonna come down to this. Can he kind of figure it out? Can he make the switches? He's still so young. Yeah. Obviously has the raw talent because he has big pop. He's a great defender. He's a great and underrated base runner. He steals bags with great efficiency, I think Going down the line on, on the infield grounder, he has some of the best speed. You know, be, being a lefty helps, of course, but he's a great base runner. Uh, he's a all-world defensive center fielder in my book. Um, but I do think I just wonder um, with the swing if it can be fixed. Obviously, there's a hole in it somewhere. There's something that the pitchers are trying to do to him because the contact level has just been not there at all, um, and the power is not just not enough. Like you know, maybe he can get like 10 or 15 a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. But he was, had the expectation of 45 a year, you know, back in 2019. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do first question, a little two-parter one, do you think another team can kind of fix him or he can fix himself? Do you think there's a bounce back and maybe not to an MVP, but could he get back to an all-star game or could he at least become a three war player, four war player, something like that? Or, uh, like, what do you think? What do you think the demand is going to be like? Is there going to be teams like really fighting for him, or is he going to be like this kind of, you know, minimum contract guy until he proves it again? What What, what are your thoughts? I I think that a change of scenery will be good for him. I think that some players maybe they just can't perform in that, uh, you know, New York, Chicago, L.A. you know lifestyle and in those L.A. lights. You know, maybe going to a smaller market team or a team that maybe isn't really pushing for the playoffs right now would be better for Bellinger. So I can see that being a bounce back. Um, I think the demand is. I don't think it's I don't think it's low. I don't think it's it's extremely low, but I don't think uh, I think it's pretty medium demand. I mean, the guy is still providing you elite defense. He still is a great base runner. I just think that. I just think that slowing kind of things down at the plate and maybe maybe even it, it goes to, the, you know, changing your stance. I mean, I, I look at so many guys changing their stance. I go back to even Brandon Marsh. Brandon Marsh for the first half or with the Angels was standing straight up, 
and it just seemed like he was striking out at a crazy level. Was it? Was it close to like forty percent? Was strikeouts? Was is that true? Brandon yeah, Marsh. Yeah. It was. It was like the worst in MLB at one point. I think. And then yeah. you see him go to Philly, and he just gets into this more of this like sitting down in the box. Like I almost look at like a like a Jeff Bagwell kind of stance where you're just sitting in it. You know, stance is a little bit wider. Uh, I shouldn't say a little bit. It's a lot wider. And you see that his contact goes up. And Brandon Marsh has decent power. But, you know, you look at him in the postseason. He's hitting home runs in the postseason. Maybe Bellinger needs something like that. Maybe he needs to change it that way. So I I, I think that there's still a all-star game kind of Bellinger player left in the tank. I think that he's just too he's too good on the defensive side. And, you know, the, the, the speed and the base running to just kind of let the hitting go to waste. So I think there's still that left. I think he's still got a four kind of war season left in him. Um, you know, 2019 was a season where you almost just put your your career season, you know, in, in the first couple of years of your career, you had your career season. And sometimes that happens, had that happens with guys. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they can prove it down the line. But uh, I, I think that there's just a... I, there's just a bounce back that I think Cody Bellinger is still waiting to have. And I, I really think that he can really do that in, in a season. I just don't know what kind of team would be able to provide that with him. Uh, would it be a team that is still competing right now? Or would it be a team that is, uh, you know, st- starting to rebuild? Maybe they want Cody Bellinger just to be there to be uh, a team that can get tickets or, you know, a team that could, they could sell tickets to fans. I look at even a teammate like the Brewers, Alex. I mean, I know the Brewers are fighting for. It'd be funny if I went to the Brewers because they have Yelich and him and Yelich were, were gods in 2019, and now they're basically the same player. But I look at a team like the Brewers getting a guy like that for cheap, um, and maybe they can just get the craziest, you know, uh, you know, results from him and, and get somewhat back to maybe like a 2017 Bellinger where he was Rookie of the Year and he was going insane. Um, it, you know, maybe that's a team that might go out there and say, we want to get a guy like that. So who knows? I, I, I definitely think there's still something left in the tank though. I think that he's in a spot where it'll really come down to who's willing to take like a bit of a chance. Yeah. A team that's kind of rebuilding. I think the Cubs have been linked to having interest in him. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's, that's the right kind of team. I think where it's like, they may be in their, in their best, uh, mindset. They're probably telling themselves, yeah, we can make we can make the playoffs next year, mm-hmm. but I think in reality we all know they're probably in the middle of some sort of rebuild and probably are a few years away from anything like that. But if they can land one of the big shortstops and then also say, you know what, let's go out there and sign Bellinger. Um, at the very least, he's going to be a great defensive center fielder that can be a True. platoon hitter and a defensive sub. Or at the best case scenario, is he becomes an all star um, or at least a, at least somewhat of a star. Um, like a forward player, like you said, mm-hmm. if he can get back to even that, then that's just a, that he immediately becomes like one of their best players in their team, right? So, and I don't know if Ian Happ is on contract next year. I think he might be. I think he's a free agent. Free agent, okay. Um, and I know that they also are losing Wilson Contreras, so like they're probably definitely in the middle of some sort of transitional phase. Yeah. But um, they probably are the type of team, a team like them, who's kind of middle of the pack, um, and they have probably money money to spend. They're probably saying we can take a bit of a risk on a guy like him. If he doesn't pan out, that's fine. We let him walk away in a year or two. But um, if he does work out, he may kind of have some belief and trust in us because we're the team that got that got him back to that form. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, I'm interested to track the level of demand for Bellinger, but we'll keep it rolling, Travis. Uh, Nick Anderson, someone who I didn't think we'd, 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 really, we'd really be covering, but he was, Travis, I think, 
one, I think he might have been the best reliever in baseball from like 2019 <laughs> all-star all-star break 2019 through 2020 regular season yep. was like the best reliever in baseball had an absolute miserable postseason um for his standards at least uh gave up the I think he had the loss in uh in game uh seven, or game six of the World Series of the Dodgers yes, he yep, allowed yep. the double to Mookie Betts that scored Austin Barnes from first that tied the game and blah 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 Anyways, he is now signed with the Atlanta Braves. I feel like the Braves, Travis, are just that type of team. <laughs> Striking gold. They just kind of know how to tweak, make a little bit of tweak there. And the, the one thing is, Travis, same goes for Bellinger as Nick Anderson. You know, Bellinger's leaving the Dodgers. Nick Anderson's leaving the Rays. Those are teams, the Dodgers and the Rays. They know how to fix guys. They know how to get the most out of players. So leaving those teams, I feel like, is there really another team that can get something out of you mm-hmm. that your past team couldn't? And the Braves are one of those teams, Chavez, where I feel like um, they might do things differently than the Rays, but there's a there's a small chance in my mind that they might have a little something that the Rays might not. They might either get lucky or find a little something in one of his pitches that really brings out a new second wind of, of Nick Anderson's career because I really uh I liked him as a Ray when he was in his prime he really fell off in a big way to where he would got hurt um fell off was no longer contributing was no longer really rostered for them so I I do wonder how they're going to use him if they if he ends up seeing you know big league time in the pen but can you just imagine if he kind of somehow becomes an all-star again and you have him Rizal Iglesias um that'd be a great eight nine punch um, they may be in play for someone else too. I know. I know. Uh, Kenley. I feel like, in He's, my in my mind, will probably be with a different team next yeah, year. Yeah. We'll see how, how his free agency goes. But um, overall, any other thoughts on that deal? Definitely. definitely yeah. You, you broke it to me first. I did not know where he was going. And, oh, really? And, and Matzik mentor. You know, Nick Anderson. Imagine getting back to 2019, Nick Anderson, and then of course you got Rysel. It's it's it it would be again another magical bullpen that the Brewer, yes. the Braves are, are are cooking up right now and, and and a team that just seems to every year it seems like they are still you know there's one of the one of the best favorites to win the NL pennant next year the Atlanta Braves probably still are so uh, I mean what a, what a kudos move right there and, and you, you just you look at that and they're if it's not the Dodgers or the Rays I feel like the Braves are the next team that you always say they can always turn guys into you know rock stars they always seem to find the talent so. Uh, really 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 low-key move to look at under the radar move to look at to uh to you know to keep an eye on for next season because we've seen nick henderson have insane amounts of success in the in the, in the playoffs did he ever did he have tommy john a couple a couple years ago and that's what cost him a couple like year and a half of, of- i'm not sure if it was tommy john but there was an injury that okay. that did sideline sideline him um, I think probably in 2021, he tried to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure, but there wasn't great success, obviously, with the Rays. Um, it really felt like after the 2020 postseason was over, we know we know we never saw that version of him again. That the Braves are hoping to kind of get out of him, but um, that's just the kind of selling, Travis, where it's probably really low risk, really high reward. Yes, yeah. Um, is a very good chance it does not work out, but if it does, it will make that pen that much more scary over in Atlanta. But We'll keep it rolling, Travis. G-Man Choi is another Ray who is leaving the team. He is now going to be a Pittsburgh Pirate. Um, any thoughts on that? It's kind of one of the more low-key things we'll probably discuss, but he's just someone who's been a staple for the, this era of the Rays, right? Mm-hmm. And the Rays, of course, have no problem moving on from guys. That's pretty much what they do when they think a guy's 
time is up. They move on, um, try to get something of good value in return. But he is now off the team. And I also think that it kind of opens up a spot. They're probably going to target some left-handed bats um, that can play first base. I think they love doing a platoon there at first base. Um, so they'll find someone. I, I know that there was rumors about them and Jared Walsh maybe. So I could see them targeting a guy like him. But someone who's just going to be able to mash righty pitchers and play first base. Um, you know, any, any other thoughts on on Choi leaving the race, kind of almost ending a little bit of an era for them? You're welcome, Garrett Cole. That is all. That's right, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was Garrett Cole's daddy for sure. He owned Garrett Cole. I think the numbers are pretty outrageous, but... Uh, Yankees and Garrett Cole are pretty happy with that one. But yeah, a low-key a low key move. But w- one of the craziest uh, just platoon first basemans in MLB. I, I know I looked at the stats. I think it was la- this past season, and they and they showed the Rays um, first base platoon stats. And it was Choi, and it might have been like Yandy Diaz. Uh, you know, Choi against righty, Diaz against lefty. It's the same production as Freddie Freeman, but uh, you're paying Freeman $28 million, and you're paying these guys like, six million dollars so uh i love love seeing that kind of stuff and how teams get so crafty by spending just chump change on the dollar and you're getting the same production as the guy that's making you know uh up there at the, at the league high uh league maximum for for some of those positions so uh he will be missing the al east yeah i i i you know wish him the best over in pittsburgh but um and pittsburgh will have uh you know he might he might add a win to Pittsburgh, so they, they might they might get sixty five wins next year. So. Yeah, I, I could see that. And, but the thing about the Rays, Travis, we know they will find a way to replace the mm-hmm. value. That is mm-hmm. what they do. Um, but he was probably one of their better left handed hitters of the last you know few years. So interested to see how they kind of follow up, try to replace that value. That pretty much wraps up most of the stuff here. Mm-hmm. I also have here the qualifying offers, the guys that. Uh, accepted the qualifying offer only two guys this offseason accepted the qualifying offer so it's about a one-year 19 uh, plus million Mm -hmm. for that one-year deal it is jock peterson uh accepting for the san francisco giants he'll be returning for the next year and then martin perez for the texas rangers either of those surprises for you i'll just say off the top of my head Martin Perez thought he might have been able to get like a two or three year deal with a different team after having a pretty good 2022, yeah, yeah. a 2022 that was probably a lot higher than anyone really expected in terms of, you know, having a, a pretty solid ERA, able to be healthy, contributing the whole year for the most part, at least. So a little bit surprised to me that he went for the one year deal, but, you know, saying no to 19 and change. Um, is definitely a risk because if the market somehow dries up for him, um, he might really regret that uh, because he doesn't have a long track record of success. Yeah. Um, but for Jock, I think it makes some sense to kind of say, you know, yeah, I'll pocket this 20 mil, play in this park another year and kind of see if I can have a better year and, 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 and have a bigger free agency market the following offseason. But anything, anything to add in those two? No surprises there. I thought if Martin would have left, he would have been getting similar to like Tyler Anderson money. Maybe maybe Martin Perez is just you know betting on himself. He wants to say, "Give me one more season, give me one more shot, and then I'll I'll prove it to you guys." Maybe next year I can get a big contract. Jock, a little bit of a surprise. I think that a lot of teams could have used a guy like Jock. Maybe not. Maybe not getting this that high of AAV. But you know, I, I think that I look at the Angels. I look at a team that drastically needs you know production in the hitting. Uh, the hitting field in left field the and depth Jock hitting, yeah. plays, uh, you know, plays decent left field, but is one of the best hitters against right-handed pitching. So I look at a guy like that and I think a lot of teams could use a guy like Jock Peterson where uh, 
you can DH some parts of the uh, season, and then you can also play uh, some first base and also play some corner outfield. So um, he must really like San Francisco, which is a good thing for right there. And you're getting you're getting nineteen million dollars for next year. That, that that that's a great con. I mean, that's a great um, that's a great start to you know the, having that that one year deal right there. But I just think that some teams really could have made some good offers to Jock. Maybe again lower AAV, but maybe could have given him like two years and. 25 mil or three years and, and and 35 mil or something like that but uh you know jock of course is happy right now and, and and good for those guys probably just betting on themselves as well maybe next year they can get bigger contracts but uh surprised that only two guys were the guys that accepted right yeah and it does make sense it, it's always funny seeing like the qualifying offer gets offered to like aaron judge and like obviously he declines <laughs> he but, will accept yeah. but 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 the, re- the reason that is is because if a player declines a qualifying offer and they go somewhere else, that team has to give a second round pick to the team that uh, the player came from. So the, yes. an- the Angels owe a second round pick. One of the picks is going to the Dodgers because Tyler Anderson declined the qualifying offer by the Dodgers and signed with the Angels. So that's how that works. So assign- signing a player from the qualifying offer like the Angels did with Tyler Anderson, you do lose a draft pick and maybe like a little bit of international free agency money. There's a lot of little intricacies yeah. that we don't really want to get into because it's uh, it might not be uh, the best for the whole audience. But uh, yeah, Charles, that pretty much wraps up all the free agency news. Anything else stand out that I'm missing? I don't think so. Nothing else. Just the, you know, of course, the speculation and the predictions of the big dogs of Trey Turner, Correa, Judge, yeah, maybe, DeGrom. Um, maybe next episode. Is that should, should that be the game plan? Hopefully next episode there'll be some some guys falling. I, I, I always wondered if guys wanted to get past Thanksgiving and then sort of work on the deals and maybe just, you know, take the, the first couple of weeks uh, in, in November to just kind of, you know, start the off-season workouts or, or whatnot. But, uh, you know, pretty pretty quick start, I would say, you know, to, to the sure. off-season so far. But, you know, of course, we're still waiting on the big guys. I think that Hopefully by the winter meetings, that's when you'll hear a lot of these guys uh, signing with their new teams or going back to their old teams. So right. uh, it should be fun the early part of December. Yeah, I think that the you know players like Judge, Trey Turner, uh, Carlos Correa, these types of guys, maybe even DeGrom. I'm not sure about DeGrom actually, but the first guys I mentioned, yeah. I think that these are the types – Verlander. <laughs> these are the types that are going to kind of wait to see what the market looks like, right? They're going to kind of let the betting war res- uh, take its place, right? There's going to be different guys, Giants, Dodgers, Yankees, maybe Mets bidding for guys like Aaron Judge, uh, bidding for guys like, you know, Trey Turner will have, you know, 10 plus teams making competitive offers. Um, no reason to kind of pick one right away. Um, let them kind of feel the pressure. <laughs> I think one of the best things you can do, there's, there's a balance, right? Because last year, Carlos Correa almost waited too long. And then all of a sudden it became obvious he was not going to get the Corey Seager kind of contract. Yep. So he went for a shorter deal. But I think that there's a, a good middle ground where you kind of wait to see what other people get. That way, some of the options kind of shrink. And there's more demand for you all of a sudden, but as long as you don't wait too long and end up getting, um, you know, a few fewer buyers. But either way, Travis, in the coming episodes, we'll definitely have an episode where we kind of give up some predictions and cover any new news. Last thing I want to touch on before we uh, close off the episode, really kind of small note, but um, something worth talking about, I think, is James Click was the GM for the Astros, Travis. They won the World Series. <laughs> they offered him a contract. I think it was a one-year deal. He wanted a longer deal. He wanted um, a bit more security. I do not know the details in specifics, but it is crazy to me that he is now, 
essentially, you know, you could call it a free agent. You can call it that he declined a contract. And then some people are using the word fired. I don't really know how you would put it. Yeah. But essentially, he is not going to be their GM next year. And it's so crazy, Travis. The cheating scandal comes out after 2019. The GM gets put on like a one year leave, but they essentially fire him. They let him go. Um, and they bring in James Click. And he wins a World Series in a matter of, you know, three seasons. You know, he goes. ALCS, World Series loss, World Series win in his three years, in his tenure. Progression. And then, <laughs> and, and then they let him go. And I will say their success recently is not because of him. Uh, he's, of course, a part of it. Um, he plays an important role for the team, I'm sure. But the infrastructure has been there. Yeah. He inherited Altuve, Correa, Bregman, Alvarez, Tucker, yeah. Springer. All these guys were on the team when he got the job. Um Verlander was on the team when he got the job, but it comes down to, um, you know, the Astros are not the type of team that are going to have incredible, incredible loyalty. We saw it with Carlos Correa. They appreciate what he did for them, but they're not going to max him out on some crazy deal. They're not going to max out their GM now, click on some like huge GM deal. They kind of want to say, you know, we want to make sure you don't get too comfortable. We want to keep the pressure on every year. We want to win. Mm-hmm. We can't just give you some five-year GM contract and you can kind of coast for a bit. Um, I don't know. I really don't know what side I land on, Travis. I don't know if I'm on the side of Click or the Astros. Mm-hmm. I can kind of see why Click wants more years. I can see why the Astros want to kind of keep the foot on the gas and not give up a big contract to a GM. Either way, though, Travis, I think Dusty got just the one-year deal. Just to come back next season yep. as coach, but it's weird to have a GM switch right after a World Series win. But anything to add in that? Yeah, it's it's funny that small, you know, n- not many times it happens. But when you know a head coach doesn't get re-signed or a GM doesn't get re-signed after a championship, and you kind of wonder, you know, huh? Did 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 they just see something that we didn't, or was there just an you know an internal, uh, you know? just internal disputes that we just didn't know about, but it, it is interesting that, you know, GM, the, the architect of, of, uh, of some of these teams is not brought back, especially after this team that was, uh, you know, such an interesting design at the beginning of the season when you don't have Correa, you have Jeremy Pena and, and the GM is putting all of his trust and faith that this young shortstop can get the job done. And he exactly did that. So yes. um, it, it, it is very interesting and, and, you know, making good, smart moves getting Trey Mancini, getting Christian Vasquez midway through the season to add depth at those spots. It ended up working out. Um, and, you know, at, at the right moments in the playoff, that, that was, that's what really mattered. But uh, it, it, it truly is uh, an interesting look to see that they're going to be moving on to a new GM and, and we'll have to see exactly what that is going to be in the next couple weeks, I would think, because you really can't move forward as a team without a GM who's, you know, making the negotiations and being out there and getting, uh, players, you know, making additions and all that stuff. So uh, it, it, it's interesting. I wonder what happened first, Montero or Click? Uh, it's pretty interesting if Montero came in and then. <laughs> I think Click happened first. Okay. Okay. So I'm not sure who made the Montero decision, but maybe the maybe the owners just running ship. I'm not sure, yeah. but obviously they have other executives involved. Um, but it is crazy to me uh, that that's how this thing went down for the Astros. I, I, I still will say that um, despite any sort of uncertainty they may have there, they will keep the ball rolling. I don't think they will. There's not really any big change I could see happening. Um, even if they even if they lose Verlander, even if they lose, I mean, I think they might lose Gurriel here. Mm-hmm. 
I, they will fill the holes. They will retool. They will be good again. Yep. That's just <laughs> that's been their mo for five straight years, six straight years. I don't expect it to change uh, mm-hmm. very soon. So, mm-hmm. anyways, Travis, that pretty much wraps up all the stuff we were going to talk about today. Um, I'm excited for the rest of the off season. Lots of big names to talk about coming up soon. Uh, next next episode, we'll try to target you know some predictions, um, some of our thoughts on the big fish free agencies. Uh, where are they going to sign? What are some of the team needs for some of the big market teams that have some holes to fill? So much uh, off-season content coming your guys' way in the coming weeks. But if you made it this far through this episode, we appreciate your support so much. Go ahead and give us a follow. Give us a like, comment, whatever you got to do. We want to hear from you guys. And go out there and look at the new 2023 Baseball Hall of Fame ballot that was just released today as well. Oh, should we touch on that real quick, Travis? Yeah, we can. I mean, there's only a couple of players we can really talk about, but... Let's do it. Let's do it real quick <laughs> before we wrap up. So, um, I'll just announce the first years, of course, that are going to be on the list. Um, but and, uh, and this was posted today, just yeah. for the, for and the this folks is if you home. remember them. You know, most some people might not remember these guys, but Bronson Arroyo, uh, first year on the Hall of Fame uh, ballot, uh, Cincinnati Red, Boston Red Sox during that whole entire 2004 season. Carlos Beltran, uh, one of the most notable names, he'll be on the ballot this year. Matt Kane, great pitcher for the Giants. R.A. Dickey. Uh, good pitcher for the Mets and the Blue Jays. Jacoby Ellsbury, Boston Red Sox. Andre Ethier, L.A. Dodger. Uh, J.J. Hardy, Oriole uh, Brewer during his career. Uh, John Lackey, Angel, Red Sox, Cubs. Uh, good seasons with Lackey. Mike Napoli, uh, Angel and Ranger. And then a couple other teams. Johnny Peralta, he was an Indian and a Cardinal. Uh, and then you go to Francisco Rodriguez, K-Rod, Angel and Met. And a couple other teams, but... Uh, we, we just knew him for being just a lockdown closer. And then you go down to Houston Street, another closer. And then you have Jared Weaver and Jason Worth. So a lot of a lot of good, just all-star type players, not really elite players on this first year list, Alex. I know we've t- touched on this a little bit in, po- in, uh, in previous Hall of Fame ballot seasons or when we discuss who's on the ballot for next season. But um, you know, the biggest names, of course, that are going to jump out to me, and I think you would agree with me as well, it's going to be Carlos Beltran. It's going to be, for my for my opinion, it's going to be Francisco Rodriguez. Those are the only two guys I could see on the first years that really made Who's a the first huge, one? Uh, Carlos Beltran. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, only two guys I see on the first years that really make a huge impact. Only two guys I can see getting 5% or more of the vote, I will say. I don't think Francisco Rodriguez will get 5% just because the way closers and relief pitchers are just brutally, brutally looked at on a Hall of Fame scale. We saw Joe Nathan last year. I think he got like 3.6% when he was definitely an elite closer back in his day, and he did not even get 5%. So those are the two guys I can see making the biggest dent out of the first years. It'll be interesting to see how Carlos Beltran fares, uh, you know, he was the first guy now that will be a part of that 2017 Astros team. Yes. So will the voters look at that and absolutely, you know, destroy him when they come to the voting and not even think about putting Beltran on their uh, on their list? Or will they kind of forgive him and look more about at the Carlos Beltran that was a uh, that was a Houston Astro earlier in his career, a Kansas City Royal and a New York Met, uh, a, a player that was just so special back in his earlier days. So. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to look at that. And then notably, also one player, it is his last year on the ballot. And for me, it's going to be, of course, upsetting. I don't think he's going to get in. I think he's a Hall of Famer, but that's Jeff Kent. 
Jeff Kent. It is his final year on the ballot. He is probably one of the greatest, uh, you know, not the greatest, but one of the most notable greatest uh, power hitting second baseman in MLB history. Jeff Kent, you can look at his numbers right now. Uh, they're really special. Has an MVP to his name as well. Not many second basemen with an MVP to their name. So that, of course, is special for him. And it, even when he beat out his teammate Barry Bonds in the year 2000, uh, that, of course, is, is a special season for Jeff Kent. But uh, we're, we're going to talk way more about this when this season comes in January. And we, we start diving into who we have on our ballots. Who do we have if we were if we had a vote today? Um, but it's just notably seeing here a the ballots have been released uh, the public, of course, is commenting and seeing exactly who they want to see in, who they don't want to see at all. Um, so it's going to be fun. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. It's going to be the first year after we get the big guys like Sosa, uh, like Bonds and Clemens off the ballot, which always is a you know a huge debate in itself. But um, now we get some newer blood into the ballot, and I, I mean, I definitely think it's going to be a lot of guys that are going to be one and dones this year. But any any thoughts on those guys I announced, Alex? On, on, on you know, we'll, we'll get into it later on. But any thoughts on that? Yeah, there's guys who I'd like to say I would hope that they get over five percent, but I yep. just know that the way this thing goes, they're not gonna. I, I really think that you know, a guy like Weaver, a guy like Lackey, you know, guys who were some of my favorite pitchers growing up, they are the types that I would like to have some more staying power on the ballot, even though yep. they're, not, they're not Hall of Famers. Um, but they will probably be one and done. I agree with what you're saying. Um, I think Francisco Rodriguez, Travis, is going to be the one of the guys I'm pushing for the most. Yep. I am... Uh, 400 and something saves. I, I mean, think he's fourth all-time in saves. Yeah. He may get passed up by guys like Kimbrell and stuff, but I do think that he is one of the best closers of all time. Um, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think some of his peak seasons are super legendary. Up there with Mo, yeah. Um, yeah, he was competing with Mo for you know relief pitcher awards in Moreno Moreno Rivera's prime, and Rivera was in a unanimous Hall of Famer. Um, and I have no dispute with that. Obviously, I'm just saying that K Rod. It'd be kind of crazy for um the guy with the fourth most of a certain stat. You know that really kind of show a stat like saves. It's unique because. It's what a closer's job is, right? Yeah. It's it's not like, you know, the innings pitched are going to be low, obviously, because his job is one inning per game at most. But um, I, I think that the, the there's obviously less value in a reliever than a starter. But when it comes down to this is the job you were given and you are that good at it, I don't think it should be taken away from you that, oh, you know, your war is a little bit lower, your value is a little bit lower just because your job is kind of a smaller part of the game than a starting pitcher or a hitter. Yes, his job is smaller, but I still think that is the job you're given and you were one of the best ever at it. So I'm going to be making some good cases for Francisco Rodriguez. Uh, when the time comes, when we cover the ballot more in depth, Beltron will also be a fun argument. Like you said, the ties to 2017 Astros, the, even the rumors and reports that he was one of the architects of that system. He was definitely an aging player at that time. It might have been his last season, if I'm not mistaken. And he uh, is in a spot where, you know, how much blame will he get for that, for being, you know, one of the, the components of that, uh, that sign stealing scandal. So, um, you know, he already got punished by he was removed as coach, right? Of was that was that head coach of the Mets? I'm trying to think. Carlos Beltran. I remember he got he yes, got, he got yeah. he got removed from a position because of the cheating scandal, right? Yes. So, like, I wonder how much that will tie into the media's perception of him 
uh, on the ballot. But you know, we'll see when the time comes. Of course, I agree that that Beltron probably gets over five percent. But I have a, I don't know. I think that it, it's tough because even with steroid guys, like some guys get the benefit of the doubt and some guys don't. So I'm interested to see how the media kind of perceives Beltron. But a lot to talk about in January, like you said, when the ballot voting process kind of really gets rolling. But Travis, now finally, I think that does it for this episode. If you guys made it this far listening, we really appreciate it. Like I said earlier, please, you know, follow, you know, like, subscribe, whatever you got to do. Uh, we're going to keep it rolling all, all off season. We're going to uh, do as much as we can to cover every big signing, all of the speculation and the hot stove news. So if you made it this far, we appreciate you so much. Thank you for listening. I will talk to you guys very soon. Presented by Tool Tools Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>